It's time for another episode of the FBI. Today's episode, we meet courageous anti-Trump FBI agent Peter Strzok, the man who was fired from the Mueller investigation and who started the FBI's Russia probe and who led the investigation into Hillary Clinton's email and now, turns out, is also the man who changed the FBI's description of Clinton's handling of classified documents from grossly negligent, which is a felony carrying serious jail time, to extremely careless, which is just naughty and causes you to be sent to bed without milk and cookies. Further investigation shows that it was Strzok who, during the FBI's investigation into Al Capone's tax dodges, changed the description of Capone from withholding taxes to disguise a murderous organized crime syndicate to a little too free with his itemized deductions. It was also Strzok who changed the FBI's description of Attila the Hun from raping and pillaging an entire continent to engaging in cultural outreach. And of course, it was Strzok who changed the FBI's description of the Emperor Nero from he fiddled while Rome burned to he provided musical entertainment around a cozy fire. The process of redrafting FBI documents has now become known as Strzokking. That's spelled S-T-R-Z-O-K. The Z is silent, and so is the FBI. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky dunky Shape dipsy topsy, roll the zippity zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray! It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray! Oh, hooray, hurrah! All right, it's more FBI to come. Uh, it's mailbag day tomorrow, and so you want to get your questions in now, or else be stuck with your problems for another week. Just go on the Daily Wire website, hit the podcast place and then go to my podcast and then there's a little bag that says mailbag right and that's how you get it every our question's gotten so much better ever since i started explaining how to get there but you have to be a subscriber for a lousy 10 bucks a month or 100 bucks for a year and if you are a subscriber not only can you ask me questions which will solve all your problems but you can also ask shapiro questions if something comes into your mind because our fourth episode of the conversation is coming up on tuesday december 12th at 5 p.m eastern 2 p.m pacific and ben shapiro will be there to answer all your questions it will be stump shapiro day subscribe today to be a part of the conversation ask ben live questions about everything from politics to religion to his favorite comic book characters ben's conversation will stream live on the ben shapiro facebook page and the daily wire youtube channel and it will be free for everyone to watch, but only subscribers can ask the questions. To ask questions as a subscriber, log into the website and head over to the conversation page and then watch the live stream. After that, just start typing into the Daily Wire chat box where Ben will answer questions as they come in for an entire hour. Once again, you got to subscribe. Lousy 10 bucks a month to get your questions answered by the one and only Ben Shapiro. That's Tuesday, December 12th at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, and join the conversation. The idea of stumping Shapiro, right? You ever hear these, the old story about the Jew who stumped the devil? The Jew <laughs> it's like this is good. No, it's good. It's a very this is a very profound story. An Italian, an Irishman, and a Jew all die, and Satan comes to them and says, "I'll, I'll make you a deal. If you can give me a task I can't perform, then you won't have to go to hell." And the Italian says, "Hi. Right, well, I'd like it if you would turn the oceans to wine." And Satan snaps his fingers. The oceans turns to wine. The Italian's gone. And the Irishman says, well, I would like a field just full of, you know, fantastic crops, all the crops in the world, snaps his fingers, that happens, the Irishman's gone. He turns to the Jew, the Jew thinks about it for a minute, and then he whistles Dixie, and he says to Satan, sew a button on that. <laughs> so, so when you go into the conversation, you won't be able to stump Satan, but you will be able to stump the Jew. <laughs> so so that's a very, it's a very profound story. You just have to think about it a little bit. All right, you know, you give uh, Christmas cards to your friends, and they say, that's really wonderful. That's not what they're thinking. What they're really thinking is, 
damn it, I wanted flowers. So what you should do instead of Christmas cards this Christmas, go to Pro Flowers. It is the easy way to send friends, lovers, wives, anybody you want flowers for Christmas. It will, it's so much nicer. I, I mean, everybody likes getting flowers, and ladies especially like it. And Pro Flowers makes it easy. I have been using them long before they became a sponsor. And they just make everything so easy because you don't have to go out and shop. You can do it right online. Their flowers arrange fresh. They have now, they have best-selling candy cane roses. Oh, we have those. I got some of those for my wife. They're really beautiful. Candy cane roses, great option for a holiday gift, December, birthday, or anniversary. Or you can always go with the classic mini Christmas tree that comes with lights and ornaments. No matter which you choose, my listeners get 20% off any ProFlowers bouquet or plant of $29 or more. How do you do that? I'm glad you asked. To get 20% off all bouquets of $29 or more this holiday season, go to ProFlowers.com and use my code AK at checkout. That's special for my listeners because they don't know how to spell Clavin. So AK, they're probably going like, how do you spell AK? That's what they, you know. These are the guys who are left over from Shapiro's show. That's why, why they don't know how to do it. This ProFlowers Flowers.com. Use code AK. You get 20% off all bouquets of $29 or more this holiday season. We do this all the time. I actually do have the, I'm not kidding. I have the candy cane roses. They were just absolutely uh, beautiful. Really are nice. You know, all of these stories are coming together in my head and uh, around the idea of the war on Christmas, because a lot of people are talking about the war on Christmas. I'm not going to go on to the war on Christmas, but the story of the tax reform and the hysterical, the hysterical Democrat reaction to having slightly lower taxes for the middle class and good taxes for corporations to bring jobs back. I mean, it's kind of a typical Republican thing. It's what we expect. It's why we, you know, uh, vote for these guys. So they'll cut our taxes. And they just, if you don't think they're hysterical, listen to Nancy Pelosi answer the question. Somebody says to her, it's just a a tax cut, right? Listen to her answer. Is it really what's going on is that Many people are getting a very modest tax cut, and some people are getting a tax increase while a lot of this is also going to business, but it's not the end of the world. No, it is the end of the world. This <laughs> health care, the debate on health care is life-death. This is Armageddon. Uh, this is a very big deal. Because you know why? There's really a very hard way to come back from this. They take us further, more deeply into debt, What can you do but raise taxes? They contend that their gift uh, to corporate America of a trillion and a half dollars, could be up to a trillion and a half dollars, will be paid for by the growth it creates. And even their own people say, nonsense, not true, not true. So let's be truthful with the American people about that. They throw a few crumbs to the middle class, but they give with one hand, they take away in bounty with the other. It's very tough to come back from this because whoever heard of the government raising taxes? The second, once you cut taxes, they can never, ever raise taxes again. My favorite was this guy, Larry Summers, used to work for Obama. He wrote a, a, an op-ed saying that 10,000 people will die because of these tax cuts. Here's his cut. Look, I think this bill's very dangerous. There's pretty clear evidence looking across different states and looking when health insurance has been phased in and out. When people lose health insurance, they're less likely to get preventive care. They're more likely to defer health care they need, and ultimately, they're more likely to die. And it's very hard to quantify precisely. My piece explains why an estimate that thousands will die uh, as a consequence of this bill is actually a very conservative uh, estimate uh, done much, much more carefully based on much more rigorous evidence than the absurd claims made by some that this bill will somehow pay for itself. This is not true, by the way. The National Institute of Health did a study, and they said there was absolutely no way to justify this. There's little evidence to suggest that extending insurance coverage to all adults would have a large effect on the number of deaths in the United States. You know, the rate of death is still 100%. So I think it's not going to have any effect on that whatsoever. Hey, I just want to pause for a minute because I forgot to say that Lauren Southern is going to be on the show, excellent YouTube star, and we had a really good conversation. It's a pre-recorded interview, but it's a really good conversation about feminism and the alt-right. But, you know, here's the thing. The, the question is, like, they, they basically feel you, that you can't live without the government. 
the government has to have all this money because you can't you can't even breathe. You can't even go on breathing without the government. You, you need the government to just you know pump your heart and all this. This it's the life of Julia. Remember, she needed every from the minute she was born to the minute she died. She needed the government to do all this stuff, and. All these people, I especially like Patton Oswalt, the comedian who kind of went nuts over this and said it's the end of America. And he and then he sent out a threat. He said, I'm going to take the money that I get from my tax cut and I'm going to give it to liberal causes. And all the conservatives said, great, that's your choice. You don't need the government to give charity. And this question about giving charity, the first thing they do is they say, what would Jesus do this? Would Jesus cut taxes? And it's actually kind of an interesting question because it is what we're talking about is what the war on Christmas is all about is all of this is about basically who is in charge of giving charity and who is in charge of taking care of the poor because there is nowhere you can go through every line of the gospel and you will not find a place where Jesus says give other people's money to the poor there's no place where he says take people's money away and give it to the poor it doesn't happen but but to Give the liberal side their due. There are places where nations are judged for not being charitable. So we all agree that as a nation we have to be charitable. What we don't agree is who gets to do it. And this is the question that constantly runs through everything, every aspect of Western civilization from the beginning. I mean, it, it basically is an invention of Christianity that's an extrapo extrapolation of Jewish thought. Because remember, the Jews, when they had, when they first found God, when they were first found by God, they lived without government. It was just God was their government. And then one day they said, no, you know, we want a king. We want to be as powerful as all the other nations. And they got a king and God said, okay, well, he, God said, they're abandoning me for a king. And then he chose Saul and he didn't work out and he chose David and that became a big, their, their moment of empire. And so the Jews constantly thought, well, that was so great that now that our empire has fallen and we've gone into the Babylonian captivity, one day, one day, David is going to come back, and a king is going to come back. And he did, but he was not the king that a lot of people were expecting. It was a different kind of king, an entirely unearthly king, who then started to say, who said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God what is God. And that conversation is, has defined the West. I mean, if you go back and, uh, and read through the history of the Middle Ages, it is all arguments between popes and emperors and kings about who gets to choose, who gets to choose the clergy, who crowns the king. Who decides that the king is, in fact, blessed by God? Who uh, populates the church? Clergy, can Henry VIII get divorced? Does he have to get rid of the pope to get divorced? These all the things that defined this struggle. And it's now, right now, the Supreme Court is listening to an exact, you know, replica of this argument in this case about the, it's ma the Masterpiece Cake Shop, where a gay couple went into this cake shop in Colorado, and they asked for a wedding cake, and the guy was a Christian, and he said, look, you know, he serves gay people all the time, but he couldn't bake a cake for a gay wedding because he believes a wedding is between a man and a woman. Silly him. You know, what? Where do you, I don't know where he got that idea, but, you know, somehow he got that crazy idea came into his head that, well, marriage is between a man and a woman. He didn't want to participate in this. And... It, you know, the lawyer, the state is basically saying, no, you have to do this because everybody has to do it. So we're not singling you out. And what he is saying is, this is my art. He's even called masterpiece cakes. You know, he says, this is my expression of myself. And you are basically violating the First Amendment. And he has an argument that as a Christian, he's, he re has refused to do cakes with dirty words on it and things like this. So he's saying this is the same thing. And so this is what we're arguing about. This is why the, this FBI story is, to me, so fascinating. I mean, it's why, because we're arguing whether we do things or the government do th does things and who does them better. We all want to take care of the poor. We all know the poor have to be taken care of. And, and we know that's our Christian duty. That's why we know it's our Judeo-Christian duty. But who is going to do it? So you're looking at the FBI, and the FBI is investigating, has been investigating Trump and investigating Hillary before that. And this story is, un I mean, the FBI has been a dubious organization from the very beginning. Make no mistake about this. You know, they have been, they have sold themselves. That show that I started off with, the Ephraim Zimbalist Jr., was only like the latest of their attempts to sell themselves as the great, clean-cut, uh, all-American operations, J. Edgar Hoover. And what J. Edgar Hoover was doing, I, when I was a newspaper man, I, I worked in a county where there was a sheriff. And what the sheriff would do is he would have his guys, he'd, there was a lot of uh, DWI, a lot of drinking and driving, because you had 
had, you had to have a car to get everywhere. Everyone would get drunk. They'd drive home. Cop would pull you over. But if you were important, you wouldn't get a ticket. But now he had this on you, that you did this, right? So he had the, the citation, but you didn't have to do anything about it. He just if he needed something, if he needed a vote, he would come to you. And that's what J. Edgar Hoover used to do. J. Edgar Hoover had a movie made by a, a famous Hollywood director, Mervyn Leroy, called The FBI Story. And it, st- it was 19... 19- 59, I think it was. It may, have been, it may have been a little earlier than that. But it was selling the FBI to the public. Jimmy Stewart, the all-American actor, right? His name was like Chip or something in this thing. And it, in order... And Mervyn Leroy was... J. Edgar was a conservative. was J. Edgar Hoover's pal. It, before Hoover would give approval that the movie could be made, he had... Mervyn Leroy investigated, and he said, we've got enough dirt on him now where we can control him. This was his pal. This is how he treated his friends. We've got enough dirt on him so we can control him, so I know the movie will be the way I want it. In fact, he would have Leroy reshoot scenes and rewrite scenes to get him the way they wanted. Let's just play the, this is the theatrical trailer, the beginning of the theatrical trailer. The FBI has been selling this image of itself for years and years. This is a fellow named Chip Hardesty. To see him walking on a street, or in the familiar routines of a family man, or even in the daily pursuit of his job, you might not pick him out as something special. But there is something special about Chip Hardesty. So special, a whole big, tremendously exciting motion picture has been made about him, and men like him. So special, it has been given this proud and distinguished seal. This is the official shield of the FBI. Now, for the first time, you'll see the real, the authentic, the fascinating inside story of the FBI. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen so many white people together in my life. <laughs> the, thing, the thing that's really funny about it is if you couldn't see it, if you're just listening to the show, they have all these uh, intercut scenes of Jimmy Stewart doing different things, being with his family. One of them is intercut from a Jimmy Stewart Western from an entirely different movie, and you see a horse moving by in the background. <laughs> it's like, what, what was that about? Anyway, this is the, the way the FBI has been selling themselves for all these years, but it just ain't so. You have to listen to this story of this guy, Peter Strzok. I'm just going to lay this out because it is it's beyond belief it really is he's the lead investigator on the Mueller probe right he's one a lead investigator on the Mueller probe Peter Strzok and he was demoted in August after it was discovered that he sent anti-Trump text to his mistress we don't know what was in the anti-Trump text but he sent this to his mistress now his mistress was an FBI lawyer Lisa Page who worked for Andrew McCabe okay now if you don't remember Andrew McCabe was the guy whose wife was running for the state senate in Virginia and had received money from the Clintons and McCabe is still being investigated for whether he was he had conflict of interest in the Clinton investigation so this is all these Clinton investigating the Clintons. And Mueller uh, covered up the demotion of Strzok. He didn't tell anybody about it. And the the House Intelligence Committee was sending him subpoenas and demanding that they get to interview Strzok, and he wouldn't do it. They stonewalled him for months. So this was like August. So now it's, what, December, August, September, October, November. It's like four or five months. You know, he's been stonewalling them. Finally, finally, when they were moving in on them, they finally planted stories, basically, in the New York Times and the Washington Post that were very, very pro-Muller. The slant on them was, oh, isn't Muller honest that he that he fired this guy off the investigation? So once they set up that narrative, then they said, oh, yeah, you can talk to him. I mean, it's four or five months that they've been subpoenating him. The, the uh, Devin Nunes on the House Intelligence Committee was threatening to hold them in contempt. I mean, they just couldn't hold, they couldn't stonewall anymore. So they finally said, oh, yeah, here's Strzok. So Strzok is James Comey's one of, he was Comey's chief lieutenant, right? He's the guy who started the investigation probe. His signature is on the Russia probe investigation, that the paper that starts that investigation. So he's also tied up with the, the big question of whether the Steele dossier, this one about you know, with all this dirt on Trump that's supposed to 
probably be from the from Putin, basically, Putin planning dirt on Trump. He's the one who knows whether that was the reason they started all these investigations. But Strunk also led the investigation into Hillary's email, and he's the guy that I was joking around about. He was the guy who made that change. Remember when Comey came out and he made that completely unprecedented uh, statement about, oh, yeah, this is what Hillary Clinton did, and it was bad, but we're not going to prosecute. It was Strzok who changed the wording from grossly negligent, she was grossly negligent, which was the description of the crime, to extremely careless, which, as I say, is just like, you know, anybody can be extremely careless. All right, we got to go on with this, but first... Let us talk about one of my favorite apps is Texture. Texture is the app with all the magazines packed into a little tiny square. And yet, magically, when you press the square, you don't have to read little tiny words. It blows up and you get the entire magazine. You get over 200 premium magazines, The Atlantic, The New Yorker, Vanity Fair, Wired, just about everything you can ask for. And, of course, magazines are the way—magazines are one of the things that I use to get around fake news because we're all—you know, I spend all my day, like, picking out information, bang, 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 bang. But sometimes you just have to stop and read something that was written in depth, and that's when you turn to the, the big magazines. And sometimes—and the thing is, some magazines have slants to the left, <clears throat> some to the right, but at least you know what it is, and you get to know the writers, and you know that they had time to go out and research and write stories. So this is— Unlimited access. The thing is so addictive. Once you start it, just try it out, and it's so addictive that you'll uh, you'll see right away that you you do want this app. Uh, you will have your favorite magazines, and there. Oh, that's the other thing. You can search, you can save, you can uh, find things you wanted again and again, and you can start your texture free trial by going to texture.com/claven. Guess what? That's spelled K-L-A-V-A-N. If you choose to continue, podcast listeners will get Texture for just $9.99 a month. That's over 30% off the listed price. You get all these magazines for just $9.99 a month. There's also great gift options available for the holiday season, so you can give somebody Texture, which they will love. Go to Texture.com slash Clavin to start your free trial today. Texture.com slash Clavin. Texture.com slash Clavin. It's the last time you'll ever see anybody, your family or anyone. And let's face it, your family's pretty annoying. So it's the last time you'll ever see them because you'll just be reading Texture.com. We have Lauren Southern coming up, a popular YouTube commentator who is really uh, doing some really interesting things. She was in England when I spoke to her, uh, making a documentary about the rise of radical Islam there, which is really interesting stuff. But... But if you want to see that, you got to come on over to thedailywire.com and subscribe for a lousy 10 bucks a month. You can be in the mailbag tomorrow and ask your questions, and you can be part of the conversation on next Tuesday, Tuesday a week, with Ben Shapiro. Come on over to thedailywire.com. All right, I just want to finish up on this thing about the FBI, because all the stuff that you're hearing from the Democrats about the sacred sacriositude of the FBI is complete malarkey. It's complete malarkey, because just go back and remember. Let, let me let me make sure I get these cuts right, because go back and remember. First, he cleared Clinton. He cleared Hillary Clinton. Comey cleared Hillary Clinton. And suddenly, they love Jim Comey. Man, oh man, they love Jim Comey. So this was is cut number 10. There was an extensive, as you know, Brett, investigation by the FBI under the direction of a wonderful uh, and tough career public servant, Jim Comey. This is a great man. We are very privileged in our country to have him uh, be the director of the FBI. No one can question the integrity, the competence. And he's somebody with the highest uh, standards of integrity. Okay, then Comey reopened the investigation into the Clinton emails, and here is the Democrat reaction then. This is cut nine. Comey acted in an outrageous way. Uh, I think he should take a hard look at uh, what he has done, uh, and I think it would not be a bad thing for the American people if he did step down. And finally, Do you believe that uh, Jim Comey should resign, Senator Reid? Of course. <laughs> Did you want to see him gone? So it's absolutely true that Democrats have been very critical of James Comey, and many of us did call for his resignation. It's hard to be a director of such an important institution uh, when that trust is no longer there. Tell us anything about the discussion. No, it's classified, and we can't tell you anything. All I can tell you is the FBI director has no credibility. The FBI director not to send the letter. Comey ignored the warning and sent that letter to lawmakers. You even released internal FBI memos 
and interview notes. I, I may have missed this, but my 42 years here, I've never seen anything like that. I just want to conclude with somebody took those and lined them up, because next, what happened was Trump fired Comey, right? So now the, somebody just lined up the, um, the comments of the Democrats after the comments of the Democrats after Comey went after Clinton, so they were angry, and put them next to the same Democrats commenting after Trump fired them. The president ought to fire Comey immediately, and he ought to in initiate an investigation. <laughs> can't just fire in Comey. Oh, yes, he can. Right. It is clear I that the motive for this firing was to stop <laughs> an investigation that the president feared. History will conclude that, that this is the equivalent, or worse, than the Saturday Night Massacre by President Nixon. Well, I was appalled by what Director Comey did. He owes not only Secretary Clinton, but the American people an explanation for what appears to be an appalling action. President Trump called me and informed me he was firing Director Comey. I told the president, Mr. President, with all due respect, you are making a big mistake. And the FBI has been compromised by Jim Comey because of how politically it acted with regard to investi this investigation and the Clinton investigation. It would be inappropriate for you to fire the head of the FBI when the FBI is investigating your campaign, by extension, your White House. All I can tell you is the FBI director has no credibility. The president of the United States should not have <laughs> done this in the middle of an investigation. So let me ask you this. If that is your government and the FBI is your government, who do you think should be giving money to charity? Who do you think should be in control of the money that you earn? Is it the apocalypse when you take money away from these people? How much money should they have? I'm guessing 50 bucks, 100 bucks bus fare to take them back home. <laughs> I mean, come on. What is their argument that they should be in control of anything. All right, let's bring on Lauren Southern. She's a Canadian. I, I, I don't know how she became so intelligent uh, and insightful of being a Canadian, but she did. She wrote the book Barbarians, How Baby Boomers, Immigrants, and Islam Screwed My Generation. Uh, she rose to fame first at Rebel Media with, uh, I'm, I'm on there. They interview me all the time, this Rebel Media, Ezra um, Levant. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, she is now, she even ran for office. She's done all these kind of pranks where she uh, has gone on to, to uh, what did she do? She went to a feminist march and declared herself, she had herself declared a man. That's what she did. Yes, I'm sorry. She always puts all, all these things up, why she's not a feminist and all this stuff. She was in England shooting a documentary, Fortress City, about the changing face of London since mass terrorism. Let's play the interview. Lauren, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So... Let's let's just start with you because I'm always interested in the journey that people take to get to a, a place where they are basically at war with the mainstream. I mean, whenever you take the positions you've taken, it's going to get you in trouble with the mainstream. So I'm always interested in how people got there. Did you start out as I'll, I'll call you a conservative? I know you're kind of a conservative libertarian. Did you start out there or did you have to take that trip? Well, I can thank where I am now to wonderful parenting. Unlike, I guess, unfortunately, a lot of millennials, when I got home from school every single day, my father would start the drive home by asking me what I learned. And instead of just saying, that's great, he would ask me questions to follow up. Oh, are you sure feminism is the best ideology? Are you sure that that's exactly what happened historically? And he gave me this nasty bug of uh, being forced to ask questions about everything. And it ended up getting me in a lot of trouble in school and university. I became the little devil's advocate in the class and uh, being always being on the hot seat in the classroom, challenging the teachers kind of drove me to love being the devil's advocate and asking the tough questions, which is what got me in this situation now. So my dad can't complain about me running around no-go zones and getting myself in trouble since he caused this. He did this to me. <laughs> <laughs> Good, you can blame him. Now, you started out, you kind of were associated with the alt-right, which I know is kind of a loose phrase that people use. Right. But but you were, you were connected uh, to Milo and everything like that. So I... I, I do you consider yourself part of the alt-right? 
Well, here's the thing. It's it's funny. I, I won't label myself anything. I am what I am. But the alt-right rejects me because they don't think I, uh, I'm not a white nationalist, so I'm rejected by the alt-right in a lot of cases for that. But the alt-light also rejects me because I will have discussions about the importance of homogenous societies, and I will have discussions about how I do think that Germany should remain a majority German. I do think that my homeland, Denmark, should remain a majority Danish, right? So I'm kind of in this middle ground where I, I'm just willing to have logical discussions, I think. And if that offends you and if that makes me a crazy Nazi, I'm not. But people will call me what they call me. <laughs> do you, have, you, have you broken? Are you still connected with Milo? Have you broken with him? Or is, are you still, do you still think he's kind of going in, in the right direction? I was just talking to him recently. He, I think he was just in London where I am and we were going to meet up for drinks, but he's quite busy. So I haven't talked to him in a long time because he's very, things, things went on a little roller coaster ride throughout his campus tour, of course, and his downfall and comeback. And uh, I, I more knew Milo before all of that happened, before his fame per se, where we were crashing Amber Rose slut walks together. Okay. Okay. I, I guess. I guess what I'm trying to ask. You wrote your book is called Barbarians: How Baby Boomers, Immigrants, and Islam Screwed My Generation. And obviously, the first thing that comes into a left winger's mind when he hears that is, "Oh, what a horrible racist you are, and how you hate immigrants and you hate Islam." Defend, defend yourself, Lauren. I mean, do you defend myself? Yes. Do you do you in fact hate people for the color of their skin or for their religion? Well, you know, it's funny. I was actually having a debate with a left winger in a pub the other day, and they were just telling me, Lauren, all I want for society, all I want is for us to all get along. I just want people to live their daily lives uh, with the most fulfillment, the most happiness, and the most peace. And that's what I want as well. I want the highest amount of freedom with the highest amount of safety and peace and happiness. And the way you get that statistically, this has been shown in studies time and time again, is one with a homogenous society and a free society. And unfortunately, homogenous means you cannot have open borders because people do not assimilate fast enough. And homogenous also means you can't have this myth of multiculturalism. It's a myth. It hasn't worked everywhere it has been applied. Every time you see people with hardcore radical ideologies like Islam or even just really strong cultures, like we have a lot of Chinese come into my hometown of Vancouver, they just don't assimilate. They don't talk to each other. They don't even do business with each other. Even if there's money on the line, I don't go into some towns anymore in British Columbia and Canada because people just won't talk to me because I speak English. And this is not something that is going to last. I mean, Justin Trudeau can say diversity is our strength over and over and over again, but as the face of the nation changes and people find that multiculturalism is really just segregated enclaves, that answer is not gonna be good enough for the young people who find themselves a English-speaking minority in certain places. It's not gonna be good enough for people who find themselves completely just disregarded by their communities because they are still beholden to a Western, <laughs> Western ideas. And it's just, it's not been working. It's been a complete and utter failure. This is something even people like Angela Merkel are starting to recognize and say, maybe we made a mistake here. Maybe things went too fast. So like many leftists, I want peace as well. I want happiness. I want things to work out fine and dandy. But we all know that that is a pipe dream unless you make some tough decisions to ensure uh, happiness. And that may not be for everyone, but it at least can be for some people within your borders. You know, it's, it's interesting because it is a dilemma in countries like the European countries that are actually based on race. Germany is Germany because it's filled with Germans, French, uh, French because it's filled with Franks, and English because it's filled with Anglo-Saxon people. They actually have some argument for keeping a majority of, uh, of a certain race. Here in America, where we're based on a creed, we have a, an argument for keeping our country a majority of one creed. It's entirely possible, as committed as I am to secular government and religious freedom, it's entirely possible that you can have a religion that is so antithetical to the American creed that we have to limit the number of people who can come in holding that, that belief system. It's just, it's, it is a shame, but it's something that we have to look at. Um, one of the things that I'm really interested in, I've, I've watched a lot of your videos about feminism, one of them called Why I'm Not a Feminist, uh, one of them, Why I'm Not Married, which I thought was kind of interesting, too. And 
as an as an old guy looking at at younger people, I'm always kind of fascinated with this because it seems to me that feminism has so eaten away at the respect that was once paid to homemakers and mothers that I frequently hear young women making excuses for uh, the desire to become a homemaker, the desire to live a, a private life or, or to be a mother. And also using feminist terminology, even as they reject feminism. So they say, I'm, I'm not a feminist because I believe you can be more equal by not being a feminist, where the question is, is equality even a goal? Um, so where are you now in this? I mean, are you still, would you still say you're not a feminist and why not? It's, it's funny. I, I'm definitely still not a feminist, but I think your point of people using feminist language to reject feminism is a fascinating one and asking, is equality the goal? Because that's another journey I've made since my rejection of feminism of saying, maybe me saying this is all about egalitarianism and total equality, and that's why I reject feminism, is still the wrong idea. Because women and men are not the same. That is just a fact. We have different brains. We have different wiring. We have different uh, things that make us happy, make us tick. And the, the reality is, is that in many different aspects of our lives, women and men are going to compete differently. They're going to react to things differently. In fact, I do a lot of research and even speeches on something like sexual market value. If women, for example, have sex with over 20 people, Harvard studies have shown that after that, there is almost a 0% chance of their marriage working later. They're almost 100% likely to get divorced once that number has reached 20 uh, 20. For men, completely different. So should we be approaching the genders as the exact same if our point is to achieve happiness for both these groups? The obvious answer when looking at the research is no, we need to approach them differently and realize that traditional lifestyles actually do lead to a lot more happiness for women because they react differently to things like sex. It's something that's very powerful and impactful to them. Also, they're just, quite frankly, not as happy in working jobs. If you've ever read, um, oh, the coming apart, coming apart, coming apart, uh, yeah, excellent. What, what, who's that by again? Oh, uh, Charles, uh, Charles, uh, Charles uh, Murray. There we yeah, go. Charles Murray. There, but two of us working together. Yeah. <laughs> excellent points about how, when polled, women show they are the happiest as homemakers. And as a young girl, when you've had so much Marxist propaganda, feminist propaganda, all of Hollywood telling you the best thing is to be a businesswoman or a lawyer or whatnot, that sounds great, but it's leading you down a path of sadness. And that's just statistically true. Women who reach 30 and are lawyers typically drop out of the field because it doesn't fulfill them or they can't compete. And as much as people may hate to admit that because we just have this god of egalitarianism, this god of equality, that we must reach it at all ends, even if it makes people miserable, uh, eventually it's going to get to this point where I think that actually the younger generation are watching women like myself and millennials and people like Miley Cyrus on their TVs just hit the stage of misery where there's no meaning to what a woman is. There's no meaning to femininity anymore. And they're just sad and lonely and don't have children or a family around them. And they're going to reject a lot of this and go back to kind of the traditional lifestyle. But it's really sad because a lot of this Marxist propaganda, the stuff you see in magazines, it's playing with people's lives. It's playing yeah. with women's happiness. And I, I, it may seem frivolous to just write an article about, oh, I'm perfectly happy being a lonely single woman in my 30s. It's <laughs> not, because you may actually convince a woman to go down that path and it's going to be difficult for her to compete with 20-year-old women. She's not going to be able to find a good husband at that age. And she's going to be miserable, statistically speaking. And it's very, very sad. I've always thought the big mistake that feminism made was while attacking men, they basically attempt, uh, 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 they basically uh, took on male values of of work and right. of uh, f even of, of fame and of um, you know the kind of success that men uh, hunger after. They hunger after those things because it helps them find women. That's why, and and the, the, for women to take those mm -hmm. on, I think basically guts the true meaning of their life. That's the way it seems to me looking at it. But I'm not here to tell anybody how to live. What what happens when you look? You famously, you had a, we went to a women's march with a sign that says there's no such thing as rape culture, uh, and which was taken away from you. When you're looking at the kind of the sex scandals that are going on here in America and everybody being, uh, you know, exposed as having chased women around the room and basically w women in Congress can't get into an elevator without getting attacked by congressmen. Do you think maybe you were wrong? Is there a rape culture? 
Well, we are certainly importing one when it comes to uh, immigration in Europe, but also within Hollywood. This is the thing. People don't, when it comes to normal society in the West, no, we do not. The majority of people reject rape. When you are proven to have raped someone, you go to jail. You cannot call that a rape culture. What I will say is that the elites play by a different set of rules. When you have enough money to hire all of the lawyers in the world to intimidate someone, to pay someone off, when you hold someone's career in the palm of your hand, their success, their failure, of course you're playing by a different set of rules than the average young man, young man on a college campus who will get accused of brushing a woman's arm and get kicked out of his school to the, to, in these days. Uh, so of course the Harvey Weinsteins of the world are playing by a completely different rule book than the average man. Uh, but I do think it's very interesting watching Hollywood just fall apart this way because we're learning a new lesson that every generation seems to have to learn. I swear our ancestors are just rolling in their grave and smacking their forehead <laughs> because we always forget how powerful sex is. Yeah. We always forget just how, how it much it impacts us psychologically, that Sodom and Gomorrah, all these different lessons throughout history that told us, no, this is a very impactful thing on more than just a one-night stand for that however long it may be time period. That affects your mentality going forward. That affects your emotions. That affects, uh, people don't even see the obvious things these days like pregnancy and single motherhood, which are terrible for children to be in a single mother home. And... I think we're really starting to get a grasp on how powerful sex is and why some of these traditional institutions like marriage and waiting for marriage and or at least just being with the person you love and not everyone, why we had these more traditional viewpoints and a taboo around sex because it's, it's something that impacts people for their whole lives. And like I was saying, the studies showing women failing in marriages later because of all the people they've been with, uh, we, we've really just thrown all these things to the wind and our generation is discovering the hard way why we had these traditions. No, no question about it. Um, you know, I, I, I'm running out of time, and I want to ask you, you have talked about, your book is called Barbarians, How Baby Boomers, Immigrants, and Islam Screwed My Generation, and you're actually in England uh, reporting on some of the stuff that's going on there. What are you doing in England? Well, I'm, I've been doing a bit of filming all around, but the biggest thing I'm working on is just a mini doc called, um, oh, sorry, Fortress City is what it's called. And it's about the changing face of London since mass terrorism happening more and more often because of mass immigration. And just the other day, I got caught up at Oxford Circus in a mass panic, thousands of people running through the street away from what they thought was a terrorist attack. Turns out it was only two people arguing in the street at Oxford's uh, Circus Station. And people are so on edge, so afraid that they started screaming and running, thinking they were going to get shot, that they were going to get blown up. If that happened in Japan, if there were an argument, people would pull out their phones and they'd go film it. If that happened in Canada, people would maybe try to break up the fight and continue their day. But London it's this whole city is on edge. They've got barriers built up. Buckingham Palace even has these disgusting giant yellow gates to stop a giant truck from ramming through it. And this is unlike anything we have reference to in history. This is a battle within the gates and they are inviting the enemy in. Uh, it's absolute insanity. And the all you have to do, I guess, is look to Israel really for what the future of European <laughs> cities are going to be. It's really, really interesting. I, I, I lived there all through the 90s. It was a tremendously safe city, even though we were going through a bombing campaign from the IRA. The IRA would call people mm -hmm. to warn them before the bomb went off Precisely. so nobody got hurt. Lauren, thank you very much for coming on. I'm out of time, but I hope you'll come back and talk again. Really uh, interesting to hear where you're coming from, and I look forward to seeing the film. Oh, that's it. <laughs> they, didn't let, they didn't let us say goodbye. Um, you know, what's so fascinating to me about this, well, actually, it will cover it under sexual follies. One day I'm going to really do that. Um, <laughs> um, you know, what's so fascinating to me about this is like an official old guy to watch a young woman come to terms with 
the reality of what sex means, what it is, what's good for her, and have to reinvent that on her own because our elites have spent the last 50 to 60 years destroying it. They've destroyed our, our sexual, you know, the sexual moral structure that kept everything in check, that at least guided us and how it was best for us to relate to one another. And now they're the ones who are shocked at the results of their work. So yesterday, Donald Trump finally endorsed Roy Moore, sort of. I mean, he never said what a great guy he is. He sent out a tweet saying, uh, Democrats' refusal to give even one vote for massive tax cuts is why we need Republican Roy Moore to win in Alabama. We need his vote on stopping crime, illegal immigration, border wall, military, pro-life, VA, judges, Second Amendment, and more. No to Jones, a Pelosi-Schumer puppet. And the RNC, which had abandoned in one of those great acts of political hypocrisy, the, they had abandoned him. Now they see that he might win because the polls, the poll average showing he might, might just squeak this through. They came rushing back and started to give give him money again. And the guy, people on the right are like, you know, fainting and they're clutching their pearls. And I, I don't see why. I do not see why. I mean, this is, if, if you had to have a heart operation and the greatest heart surgeon in the world was a rapist, would you say, no, I'll go with the fifth best heart surgeon? No, you know, <laughs> so, so, I mean, you know, uh, Trump never said, this is a wonderful guy. Moore says he called him a fighter or something like this, but he just says, I need the vote. I need the vote. And what gets me about this is that First of all, the left has no leg to stand on. Forget about Clinton. Forget they have been they have been pushing this scenario on us for years. Go back to Manhattan, the Woody Allen film, which is about a forty-something-year-old nebbish, basically Woody Allen. He's a comedy writer, I think, in it, romancing a seventeen-year-old girl, played by one of the Hemingway girls, Mariel Hemingway. And at the end of that, let me just play a little clip from the end where. He comes to her, and he she's off to London on some, you know, fabulous semester abroad or something like this, and he goes and begs her not to go because he wants her. I don't think you ought to go to London. Well, I have to go. I mean, all the plans have been made, arrangements. I mean, my parents are there now looking for a place for me to live. Well, do you still love me, or, or what? Do you love me? Well, yeah, that's what... If, yeah, of course, that's what this is all about. You know. Well, guess what? I turned 18 the other day. I'm legal, but I'm still a kid. <laughs> God, and nobody thought at the time, except me, by the way, nobody thought at the time to say, you know what? It's kind of creepy. It's kind of creepy making a romance about this. I mean, look, we all know that older men and younger women kind of go together because women like the things that men generally only acquire over time, like money, status, and, you know, a sense of themselves. And men like pretty girls and, you know, pretty young girls. I mean, basically, that's it. So there's something there that's kind of part of nature and all this. But the left and the cult, just the other day, just the other day, they, the L.A. critics named this new gay picture, Call Me By Your Name. They named this the best picture of the year. That's about an older man with a 17-year-old boy. I mean, you know, they're still doing it. And then they're going to faint dead away. What doesn't work is it doesn't work for one side to play by the rules and the other side to play by any rules they want. That is what doesn't work. What people keep writing me and yelling at me about the fact that I don't like Roy Moore. And I keep telling them, I've not, I haven't convicted him of anything. I haven't, you know, I, th I believe some of these women, some of them I don't care about. If he was 34 and she was 17, I don't think that's wise. I don't think that's kind. I don't think that's good, but it's none of my business. That's, that's not the problem. It's the 14-year-old girl, the girl who said, the woman who says he attacked her and all this. But some of them, I, I don't know who's telling the truth. I don't know where the lies are, but I believe some of these women. That's not why I dislike him. I dislike him because he's a hypocrite. I dislike him because he bangs on the Bible and uses people's religion and accuses, you know, gays and other people of, of causing his problems when clearly he caused his problems. And and I really think he is a rebuke to the kind of, and I'm, I'm not a Bannon hater, but it's a rebuke to the guys like Bannon who say they're going to go outside the mainstream while Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan are achieving, suddenly achieving things. They might lose Alabama. That's absurd. But the one thing is, though I don't like him, and though, of course, if he did anything to a 14-year-old girl, I think it's despicable, I do think that there are, you know, the, the other day some woman, oh, Roy Moore spokesman, went on CNN and was talking to this woman. And this is an incredible cut. And what was her name? Poppy, uh, 
I can't Harlow? remember. Poppy Harlow, is that it? Yeah. Okay, so, so this is the opening of this interview. And let me get right to it. So Thank you. It's great to be with you. The and by the way, congratulations on your, your unborn child. Uh, that's, the, that's the reason why I came down as a volunteer to speak for Judge mm. Ray Moore, because he'll stand for the rights of babies like yours in the <laughs> womb, uh, where his opponent will uh, support killing them up until the moment of birth. Janet, thank you for being with us, and I appreciate the congratulations <laughs> on our son on the way. Now, let's get right to this. <laughs> so, so I have to say the woman, the reporter, handled that very well, but people went nuts on Twitter. This is reprehensible. I didn't think it was reprehensible at all. I thought it was a little outlandish, but it's true. It's true. This guy believes in abortion up until the minute the baby comes out, out of the, the woman. I mean, there are actual serious issues here. What I don't believe in is I don't believe that if you're going to vote for somebody who's a creep because the other guy's a bigger creep, just say it. Just say it. Just be honest about it. That's it. You know, I'm voting for this guy. I don't like him. Because the thing is, we, the people, are so much more nuanced than the people who think that they're giving, they're, they think they're our thought leaders. They see everything on the news, on black and white. They see everything in partisan terms. They see everything as a, you know, the story is going to be Republicans support a child molester. We, we are much more thoughtful than they are. If there is one big lesson from the year that is just coming to an end, it is that the the regular people are so much better than the elites that the word elite has lost its meaning. And I think one of the ways that the regular people are better than the elites is they can deal with nuance. They, you know, they can deal with the fact that we live in a world of shades of gray. We live in a political system that is very broken, that's very damaged. We live in a sexual system that's very broken and very damaged. And we have to stumble along in the shadows and make our way. And I don't blame anybody for the choice they make in voting for Roy Moore. I do not think it's, I'm not shocked. I don't think it's disgusting and evil and all these things. I think it is a creepy system that puts two such creepy people uh, in opposition to one another. And I think Trump's right. He needs, needs the vote. All right. Tomorrow is the mailbag. Go on the, pod, the, the Daily Wire page. Hit the podcast button. Hit the Andrew Clavin podcast button. Hit the mailbag button and send in your questions. Answers guaranteed 100% correct will change your life on occasion for the better. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. Let's go out with the piano guys, my love. Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling, executive producer Jeremy Boring, senior producer Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Technical producer Austin Stevens, edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Albera. And our animations are by Cynthia Angulo and Jacob Jackson. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire Forward Publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2017.